It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. And welcome, everybody, into another installment of J.C. and Morgan, one of your favorite college football podcasts. Maybe your favorite. Uh, We're just hoping to be in your top three when it's all said and done. Modest goals here on the show. This is episode 173 or 4. We'll have to confirm that. We'll have to check the logs. Uh, Check the tower logs! Uh, It's never a bad time to do Nicholson and uh, (laughs) a little... little, uh, Colonel Jessup is never, never a bad time for that. You, Lieutenant Weinberg, hope everybody had a great weekend. Hope we're all set to go on another uh, hour to hour and 15 minutes. Michael Haney is uh, being very strict with us on time. We keep going over, JC. We need to we need to keep this tighter. We need to keep this smoother, faster. And we'll uh, only have minimal interruptions for the Aaron Judge home run chase. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah. Yeah. We will not break in. And Sean McGun Sean McDonough will be happy to know that we're not going to break in in the middle of this podcast for an Aaron <laughs> Judge at bat. Uh that uh, voice you hear is Michael Haney, our fearless producer back in the Music City. JC Sherbert of 24-7 Sports in the Windy City. And Mike Morgan, I'm actually in Studio B here in Kentucky. Uh, fresh off a trip to Indianapolis to call Colts Chiefs yesterday. Just to, just to, to show you that upsets are not just in college football, how the Colts defeated the Kansas City Chiefs and held them to 17 points. That's that's life in the NFL, kid, as they say. My first trip to Indy, by the way, very cool, and actually went to uh, – I know we talk college football almost exclusively here, but we do get into a little college hoop from time to time. On my bucket list, St. Elmo's. One of the best meals I've had in a long time. Uh, I, I called the game at you know beautiful uh, football stadium that uh, Lucas Oil Stadium certainly recommend. And then um, the other two things go by the Indy Five Hundred, which I've still never been to a, a an Indy car race. Uh, it seats if you include the infield over three hundred thousand people, very impressive. And then for those of us who are diehard Hoosiers fans. Yes, Hinkle Fieldhouse, where they filmed the movie Hoosiers, where they had the uh, state championships for years and years and years in the state of Indiana. Very, very cool. Got to uh, grab a basketball, hit some shots, and uh, and play on that infamous floor, which, by the way, I'm told is the same floor from way back when. They've obviously you know resurfaced it and do whatever they've had to do, but it's the same actual wood that uh, Jimmy Chitwood and the gang uh, played on in the movie and played on in the 1950s and so on and so forth. So that after calling a uh, Coastal Carolina football game on a Thursday night, that was my weekend. And uh, hopefully everybody out there enjoyed yours. We've got a lot to talk about. Um, You've got another Power 5 coach fire. This is becoming a trend now. Like This is college football has morphed into the NFL. NFL has morphed into college football when it comes to style of play and everything else we talk about. But now firing coaches in the middle of the season, which has been a long-standing tradition in the NFL, is now very much alive and well in in college as Jeff Collins, which we kind of started getting word, JC, toward the end of the show last week 
Uh, I know you hit on uh, some sources you trust that that were reporting it. It took a couple of days extra for it to be official, but it, it is official. He gone, and that wasn't enough. They also canned the athletic director. Uh, <laughs> in fact, they're on their third AD. So when I first got to Atlanta in 2010, uh, Dan Radakovich was the athletic director. Did an excellent job there, and uh, I've gotten to know Dan over the years. have a lot of respect for him. That A couple of years later, he left for Clemson, and, of course, now he's at Miami. I forget the name of the AD that became uh, – that was right behind him, but then he left, and then they just hired this guy, Stansberry, and now he's gone. So they're hiring, in short order, an AD – I believe this week, and then who knows how long the head coach will take. So we'll talk about that. Um, there, there were some more upsets. There were some great stories this week in college football. Kansas 4-0, I think, is a terrific story. Uh, the SEC had a couple of landmark games. As we continue to clear the dust, we'll do our SEC spotlight. We'll go under the radar. We'll uh, do our Don't Sleep On segment. And, of course, we'll do our Hot Haney 5. So uh, a lot. To, and Oh, yeah, and our picks which I had a winning week that that that's nice. But um, overall, the picks have not been very good. And Michael picks five extremely difficult games that we don't know are coming. And I think he enjoys us suffering each and every week before a national audience. Guys, uh, with that being said, how is everybody? I'm doing well. Uh, <clears throat> had a uh, I guess we picked these games against the spread on the we recorded Monday last week. I think it got released on Tuesday. So the lines changed, and all of a sudden, you know, bright, bright, sunshiny day on Saturday. I go six for six on a parlay on my little app because uh, it's legal in Illinois. You know, you yeah. just get on the Barstool Sports app or Caesars. Uh, Caesars is affiliated with CBS, so I should probably say go to Caesars. Uh, but uh, man, ten bucks and you win five hundred and fifty. You feel indestructible. <laughs> and then I went right back to my losing ways the rest of the day. Uh, really enjoyed, um, you, you know, you talked about pro football, Mike, and uh, it, it's it's obvious that I'm a college football guy over pro. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, grew up in, in South Carolina, pulled for the Falcons, never really got into the Panthers because I was a Falcons guy. I've lost interest in the Falcons over the years, along with the Atlanta Hawks. I still love the Braves, but that's about it. Um, so just, I, I didn't get into it. I play fantasy football a little bit, but in, in Illinois, one of the most interesting things is the, the Chicago Bear watch party. It is as intense and rowdy and nuts as any college watch party I've ever been to. It is a collegiate atmosphere, and so the uh, better half, well, we we the kids went back to their dads this this Sunday. She, she's like, I want to go watch the Bears, and so sure enough, we went and. Um, we uh, uh, had fun, had some Polish sausage and uh, some, some Italian beef, and uh, it was rowdy, and the Bears, of course, won a, uh, a close one against the Houston Texans. But just the negativity and positivity and the, the, the emotion uh, that goes up and down uh, with those watch parties for an NFL game, I, you know, I, I'm just not used to that. kind. Of, I mean, usually in, in South Carolina or even in Atlanta, Mike, you go to a Buffalo Wild Wings on a Sunday, everybody's got different jerseys on. They're all kind of pulling for their fantasy team. Yeah. Nobody gets crazy. Uh, it gets crazy. I mean, it, it gets nuts when they play the Packers. It's it's like, uh, you know, it's like uh, George and Florida. 
you know, when they play the Packers. It's unbelievable. That That is what I love about Atlanta is that you go to a, a, a typical sports bar on a Saturday and there are fan bases from a dozen different teams mm-hmm. because it it's it's not just Georgia. Uh, it's all the SEC teams. It's some of the ACC and then a few randoms. And then at the bottom of the list, and maybe this will kind of segue into uh, the first part of the first chapter of the Haney Hot Five. Georgia Tech, it's like it doesn't even exist in this town. <laughs> it, it, it's they're there, but they're not there. And and I remember when I first moved to Atlanta again 12 years ago, uh, I was under the impression that Georgia Tech was going to be a major talking point. And that back then they were enjoying some success under Paul Johnson and I was doing some sports talk radio. And if you tried to bring up Georgia Tech, it was just <laughs> crickets, man. It, it, absolute crickets. Um, so Jeff Collins, who came from Temple, got the job. Nobody thought it was a ter- terrible hire. I don't know if anybody thought it was a home run hire, but Georgia Tech doesn't make home run hires because it's a very difficult job. Um, so we'll we'll get into that. And, and Michael Haney, it's a good time to bring you in and dust off another hot Haney five. Uh, I know you've been living the life of a musician and being in trailers with groupies and roadies and all kinds of stuff, but uh, you're sober now and uh, you look like you're, you're very lucid and, and ready to produce uh, another award-winning podcast. Yeah, you know, it's amazing what a uh, good 10 hours of sleep can get you after uh, two and a half days on the road. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's good. And, and being able to watch college football on uh, on like a Monday and a little bit on a Tuesday, it's that's kind of a gift, you know, uh, as much as I would love to see it as it was happening and, and feel all the raw emotions of, of what's going to happen in the unpredictable nature, uh, being able to watch a little bit of it uh, later on and, and seeing some of it uh after it's happened isn't a bad thing uh to sort of see it for the first time even though i know uh, what's going to be happening but uh yeah we'll start off the hot haney five here gentlemen and uh, and as we said towards the end of, of last week jc you were getting uh, inside word uh at, at the time that jeff collins was going to be the next uh, the next guy they decided to to wait until after the game um this past week but not just uh, jeff collins but mike as you said at the outset the ad todd stansbury uh, going uh, going away. Um, Mike, I know that you have a lot of thoughts uh, about this and, and being in Atlanta, but I do want to start with JC on this one simply because uh, from a, a recruiting perspective, um, Jeff Collins, uh, and again, uh, it, it was so bad for him, as, as we mentioned last week with the betting odds of the next coach to get fired, they didn't even bother to spell his name correctly. So <laughs> you know that you're not necessarily doing a great job if, if, you're, uh, if your name is spelled uh, wrong, even though, you know, he does spell Jeff, um, a, at least a, in, a, in a way that's not as traditionally well known. Uh, but either way, uh, JC, um, Georgia Tech has has recruited and had been recruited uh, for a particular style for a long time. And Jeff Collins was brought in, had a reputation as a recruiter. Um, as Mike said, it, it done well enough in two seasons at Temple. Uh, but comes into uh, a recruiting hotbed with a, a, a recruiting pedigree and expected to be able to turn some things around, but he just didn't. In your estimation, from that recruiting perspective, where did things go wrong for Jeff Collins in Atlanta? Well, I think a couple of things. For, first of all, you know, he's a defensive guy with a recruiting background, um, you know, had a lot of talent. Uh, he inherited at Florida when he was there, right? And I think that was the the leftover must champ guys. 
because uh, he coached there under McIlwain. Um, got the Temple job like a lot of guys do. Uh, you know, Al Golden, Matt Rule coached there. Uh, Jeff Collins coaches there, does pretty well. Um, and then uh, hightailed it back to Georgia Tech, which is, you know, his his hometown, right? Uh, I've always kind of been skeptical of his long-term prospects, just to be honest. I mentioned, I probably mentioned that when they hired him. You know, that said, you know, you you probably get caught up if you're the athletic director in, in like the idea for branding and marketing and, you know, the 404 uh, and all that good stuff that they really tried hard to do. I mean, it, it was an unnoble effort uh, because, you know, athletic directors sometimes, you know, you're sitting there talking to, thinking about you kind of put the cart before the horse and you're like selling tickets and enth- we'll drum up enthusiasm and sell some tickets and blah, blah, blah. Then maybe it won't take five years. Well, it was going to take five years regardless. Um, I think what killed Jeff Collins is, you know, it's different recruiting to tech now than it used to be uh, when, you know, you could occasionally go and beat an SEC school on an in-state kid. Um, Heck, Chan Gailey beat Georgia on uh, Jonathan Dwyer, Jamar Nesbitt, Morgan Burnett. Um, That was part of Paul Johnson's best team. Um, but, but you got to kind of know what you're doing. And, and then, you know, this new era of college football kind of gets dropped on us. Um, and the transfer portal happens and he got just annihilated in the transfer portal. I mean, it was a great piece of recruiting to get Jameer Gibbs to come. And the first thing you know, he's out the door to Alabama and a lot of other guys left too. I also think like a lot of defensive guys, he never could get his offense correct. Um, I don't know what the hell they were trying to do. Uh, it seemed like some kind of pro-style-ish with a dual-threat quarterback. Um, but maybe that wasn't the right choice, you know. And then he changed coordinators this year. Um, yeah, I think Georgia Tech does need to be a special preparation. I don't think you sell out to the triple option. Uh, th- that's for a program, in my opinion, you know, like like maybe a Vanderbilt if you want to try it, or a Wake Forest if you want to try it. Wake's doing fine right now, so is Duke. But a place where you you just kind of go, there's no history, there's no tradition. We've been getting our butt cut every weekend. Wouldn't it be fun to be in the game for uh, occasionally? And and so we'll run triple option. That was not where Georgia Tech was. He Paul Johnson took over a seven and five football team uh, with a lot of good young players. And he just wasn't a guy that was going to go recruit. He wasn't particularly a great evaluator, except for when it was in his system. They hung in the balance. They were competitive enough to where he held on. Uh, He was right to criticize their administration as far as putting the money into it, uh, because I don't think they spend a lot of money. And uh, now, lo and behold, you got to pay two big buyouts and try to go get somebody else. So uh, I think a lot of things did Jeff Collins in. I would have fired him last year and, and not because of anything he necessarily did, but you know, the off season did not go well. I mean, you, you talk about, um, you know, a drone shot of, of Bobby Dodd stadium and, and, and Mike's lived in Atlanta and knows all about tech. You know, when Auburn comes in there, or Georgia comes in there, or Clemson comes in there, uh, the, the random times they have Tennessee or whoever come, come play, uh, they're going to get, 40 to 50% of that crowd, but you still have tech fans in there for half of it, man, that, that, that sky shot of Grant Field was a sea of red and black. That alone should have been, should have told you like, look, this is not going well because people just don't care. 
Uh, and we all know Tech had no chance to win that game, but it, it's the principle of the thing. Um, and then he lost Gibbs. So I would have probably fired him last year. Uh, they gave him one more year. Obviously, when things didn't get off to a great start this season, the, the, the ice was thin, so to speak. Um, and, and I just think at the end of the day, you, you had what was kind of an iffy hire, uh, which means, you know, you kind of go if he can recruit and if he gets the scheme right and if he does this, he can rebuild this thing. He just needs time. Uh, and then they were just so bad that you could not give him any more time. There was no progress. You know, and, and then, like I said, the portal hurt him. I think his staff hurt him. Um, they have some good assistants on that staff, like Brent Key, who's the interim coach. But um, Trishard Choice, for example, uh, left and, and headed west. Uh, I think he went to Texas, and then I think he went. To, he was going to go to Southern Cal. I don't know if he ended up in Southern Cal or not, but that's Mr. Georgia Tech. You know, and you got him walking out the door. I mean, there were just some bad signs. Uh, they need a complete reset and, and a plan – uh, to get them competitive, competitive in the short term uh, and long term, how to build this thing back. Because Mike's right. Uh, it's a program that's been good. George O'Leary had some fantastic teams. Uh, they've won ACC championships, uh, including one with Paul Johnson. They, uh, they won a national championship in 1990. Uh, they were a powerhouse in the 60s, uh, so powerful that they left the SEC to go be the Notre Dame of the South. Uh, which in hindsight was a gigantic mistake. So <laughs> it's uh tech has been good. They, and they have a hellacious little fan base there in Atlanta. The problem is a lot of their graduates leave. I mean, they played a bowl game in Seattle, gosh, 15 years ago, there are 10,000 tech fans there. Cause there's that many alums in Seattle. Cause it's a, you know, it's, it, it, it's, they don't have a, va- a wide variety of majors. It's all engineering, uh, you know, your things like that. So, um, yeah, uh, I think it's unfortunate. I hate to see that program where it's at. Uh, I think while it is irrelevant, they could do, they could do better. They have done better. Um, and it's going to take, now that they've gotten rid of their AD, I mean, you, you got to get somebody in there with some, some vision and a plan and the wherewithal uh, to not just fix football, but, but fix athletics. Um, you know, Georgia Tech's going to get left behind. They, they, you'd hate to see them become a Vanderbilt. Uh, because they've survived this long not being. Uh, but that's definitely where they're heading. Yeah, and they've got some things going for them that, quite frankly, Vanderbilt does not. Um, 2016, they had a winning record. This is the Justin Thomas year. They beat Georgia. They beat a Kirby Smart Georgia team. And things looked uh, rather, good, uh, rather good. They they beat Kentucky in the Tax Slayer Bowl. They were 9-4. and four. Um, but that just seems like forever ago. I know it's six years ago. It seems like forever ago. Paul Johnson, and by the way, the 09 ACC crown was later stripped. So at that point, you got to, if you're like a Georgia Tech fan, you're like, really? We're the ones cheating? <laughs> We're the ones that actually take academics seriously and make kids go to class and make them take uh, engineering classes and math classes that no other schools want to make the student athletes take, and you're going to take our a conference championship away, but they did in 09. And that kind of spelled the end of Paul Johnson, who had the personality of a housefly. And eventually that offense, which was always stale, but it was effective for a time. It it, it fizzled out. People adjusted. They knew what to expect and it went nowhere. And then nobody wants to play in that offense in, in, in this decade. 
and so you're not recruiting kids to that offense anymore. So Paul's time had come and gone. And then everybody, I can tell you, Georgia Tech fans were relieved he was gone, and they were so excited about just seeing an offense that was worth three and a half hours melting away in the Atlanta sun of their time. And they got Jeff Collins and Jeff Collins had been there twice as an assistant. Uh, so he had ties to Atlanta and, uh, you know, again, I can't sit here and tell you that Jeff Collins hire was terrible. That part of the thing is, is that Georgia tech is not a program that can just go out and spend $7 million on a hot name football coach. That's just not where they are. And, I'm telling you right now, the the academics, I know people roll their eyes when they hear academics associated with college football anymore. It is a real deal issue for that program. Um, I, I did a whole show on this one day back on the old 790 The Zone in Atlanta, and I had graduate after graduate after graduate call. It was the most engaging uh thing i've ever done with georgia tech fans i was starting to wonder if they existed in atlanta because like you said jc most of them do move They're, it's a terrific academic school they get great engineering jobs and they go all over the country and all over the world but they all said the same thing like because they went to class with these kids like you're asking kids that so many other colleges can take their random a cakewalk major and take all the liberal arts classes and learn virtually nothing uh, but say that they got a degree, you can't do that at Georgia Tech. Like you actually have to use some of your acumen. You actually have to do advanced math if you're going to get through at Georgia Tech. Forget about graduating just to stay eligible. And that is a roadblock to get a lot of kids. And so no matter who you hire, that's not going away. And I know we'll talk about Dion. Dion and anybody else who gets that job, the first thing you have to do and ask the athletic director, whoever it's going to be, again, it'll be the third one in the past decade. What do we have any leeway on this? Remember when Lou Holtz got the Notre Dame job, one of the first things he did was, I don't know if he demanded it, but he certainly begged and pleaded and got it. He, he got back then we called him prop 48. So Tony Rice would not have been eligible in the old Notre Dame. Tony Rice never would have happened, never would have been on campus. Lou basically got the, the the power structure of Notre Dame to make an exception to their own rule to let him come in, to let him adjust to campus life, and then eventually let him be eligible to play, and they won a national championship with him. That's what Notre Dame did. That's what Georgia Tech has not done. And if they don't do it, I really wonder, A, what kind of coach are you going to get, and B, how successful can you be? You know, uh, I, I just Georgia Tech has lost its place in the ACC in a lot of ways that they can't say it, you can't get it back. But uh, it, it it's going to take some serious change in my mind. I don't think this is all on bad coaching hires. I do think there is something with the infrastructure right now that is preventing Georgia Tech from being more of a competitive program that, again, as JC pointed out, it wasn't that long they won a share of a national title. It wasn't that long they won an ACC title long ago. Uh, but clearly, they are they're at a different stage right now to the point where you just don't even think about them competing in that conference. Well, moving along into question number two, and, and Mike, as you said, you knew we would talk about uh, this particular person, and, and maybe we're just spitting into the wind with this because 
Georgia Tech is in a place where they might not be investing uh, in football and some of these names are not going to go to a place uh, if there's not going to be an investment in the future of, of what they're going to do. But uh, there there are names like Jeff Munkin at Army, Jamie Chadwell uh, that Bruce Feldman has put into, into his potential list there. Bill O'Brien, the, the offensive coordinator at Alabama now. Obviously, we know his history starting uh, with Penn State and then going to uh, the Texans. Um, Todd Munkin uh, at Georgia, uh, who has been doing a great job there, helped him win the national title. But the name at the top of the list for Bruce Feldman uh, and one that has, has uh, stuck out, and I honestly did a triple take at first, uh, just because uh, I, we're, we're all of a certain age. Um, you know, We know exactly the, the history and the story uh, of Deion Sanders and, and what an incredible athlete that he was playing two sports the way that he did and and just a, an all-timer uh, in that regard and what he was able to do. So when he took the head coaching job or was uh, promoting himself as, as a head coach, I'm not going to lie, I, I shrugged my shoulders. I kind of scoffed a little bit, but he's been at Jackson State for two years. He's recruited well. He's 15-2 and two overall uh, at Jackson State right now. Is, is it time uh, to actually tar- start taking Deion Sanders more seriously in the discussion to uh, be a future Power 5 head coach, whether it's at Georgia Tech, uh, where he has ties in Atlanta, or somewhere else possibly close by? Well, I'll say this, and I'm almost surprised my own answer, because I've thought about this. I'm going to say, if I'm Georgia Tech, I seriously consider it. Because I think that you need a boost of adrenaline. You need a shock to the system. In Atlanta, uh, you need outside the box. And Dion fits all three of those. Dion has always been his own best self-promoter. Uh, and he has gotten attention in a swack school that nobody else could have had they gotten that job. Uh, I, I would. This is the one situation. If I'm Arizona State, I'm not looking for Dion Sanders. If I'm Nebraska, I'm not looking for Dion Sanders. And if and when the Auburn job comes open, I'm not looking for Deion Sanders. But if I'm Georgia Tech, I, I, I need to I need to try something different. I would try it. Now, do I think he's going to be uber successful if it happens that way? No. And he's going to, again, unless Georgia Tech changes things, going to have to recruit a different kind of athlete, just as every other, other coach has had to do that during their time in Atlanta. But I'd give it a shot. Look, the media wants this to happen. For a number of reasons, and not the least of which, it's like an entertaining sociological experiment to take the guy with very little experience um, and and just throw him out there in a power five job. And boy, we don't know if he's going to sink or swim, but it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And I kind of fall into that category as well. I think it'd be I think it'd be a lot of fun to watch. I have no idea how it would turn out, but. I think it would be incredibly entertaining, which is something that two two words that have not been used to describe Georgia Tech football in quite some time. So I knowing Dion, he he's gonna do his research and he's gonna realize, man, that's a tough job. They might offer it to Dion and he might just flat out turn it down. Because again, Dion doesn't need to operate the way most coaches do, which is trying to provide a living to support their family. Dion's already got plenty of money. Um, so Georgia Tech's going to offer more than Jackson State ever could, sure. But Dion could sit there and go, nah, I'm good where I am, and I'll wait till a, a job that I think is uh, offers me 
more of a chance of winning comes along. Um, and so that wouldn't surprise me either. But Dion in Atlanta, yeah, I, I I mean I can't help it. I'm I'm intrigued by that. And I I even though I don't think it's going to happen, I, I sure heck I sure as heck would uh, find it awfully entertaining if it did. Well, I mean, here, here's a guy that hit a home run. For, didn't he hit a home run for the Braves to return a kickoff for a touchdown for the Falcons the same day, one time? Yes, yes. So yeah, he, Atlanta is a Atlanta knows who Deion Sanders is, Coach Coach Prime. I, I, I've seen this guy coach Mike at the Under Armour All American Game, where he was, uh, I think, an assistant to one Herm Edwards. Um, but but he gets he gets after. He's passionate about coaching the kids. He's enthusiastic about coaching them. Uh, just looking at like his public comments, you, you can tell he cares about his players. All those things sometimes when you have a celebrity coaching, uh, you worry about. You know, like I think Peyton Manning would probably be one of the best college coaches in the history of the game if he wanted to be. But he's, what does he need to do that for? He's a celebrity, so you got to kind of have the right mindset to do it. Uh, and I think he does. Now, my question would be. What's Georgia Tech going to do to help Deion Sanders? Uh, you you can't just rebuild this thing with his name alone. Um, sure, he can help with fundraising, he can help with recruiting, he can encourage people to to give. Uh, that's all great and well and good. But, but what kind of what kind of staff are you going to let him hire? You know, are you going to give him the resources not just on the field but off the field to compete with the schools in their neighborhood, which are tough? I don't think you have to be as good as those schools off the field. I think you got to be close though, and, and competitive. Um, and so those are all my questions. You know, our Georgia Tech insider said today that um, it probably wasn't going to be Dion. They're probably going to go in another direction. But I, I think I, I think that's one direction you can go. Uh, I do think if you're Georgia Tech, you, you sort of – you didn't hire Dion Sanders last time, but you hired a guy that, you know, you thought was going to come in and get everybody excited and recruit, and it kind of splattered up against the wall like a pie. Um, so, so, so do you go that direction again, or, or do you go like with Jamie Chadwell from coastal who's always done more with less, who's won at Charleston, Southern North Greenville, Pikeville, wherever you name it. Um, and who's runs a dynamic offense that you can, you can actually recruit players to there, um, in the ACC when in a world where Wake Forest and Duke are doing fine, you know, I, I don't think you got to finish in the top. 10 and recruiting to, to win that league, man, or to at least uh, compete for that league. Uh, so, you know, would that be a better choice? Would a Bill O'Brien who has a two-year track record of rescuing a program from the ash heap who was at Georgia Tech for eight years as an assistant, would that be the direction? You know, th- there's some intriguing options. Um, and, you know, I, I think with Dion, the whole question, I think he could do it and I think he could be successful, but, you know, any guy like that that's kind of like a figurehead and a recruiter, they have to have the investment behind them uh, for other personnel, uh, you know, because it's just such a massive undertaking. And guys like that, their time is completely sucked because everybody wants a piece of Dion, right? They want to talk to Coach Prime. Well, then who's working on the football? You know, who's doing this? Who's doing that? Because uh, there's a lot to be done. So Georgia Tech, I think if they went that direction, they would have to – uh, really pony up uh, to make sure he's set up for success. I'll say one more thing on this. I did ask a friend of mine who's an assistant for an ACC school, and I said, what do you think? And he kind of chuckled, and he said, I hope he gets it. And I said, really? He goes, yeah. 
because I can't wait to watch him fall on his ass. Coaches that have really paid their dues and spent a lifetime in this profession, uh, they they certainly know about these type of stories, and they don't always uh, look at look at them favorably. Most of those they'll never admit this publicly, and they'll never say it in front of a microphone. But but they believe that a guy like Deion Sanders, once you get him out of the swack and you get him in in a power five type situation where when you do lose a game, like it's you now have national uh, scrutiny on you and you have major boosters and you have all this and they they want answers to questions that you may not have an answer to as to why this out of the other didn't work out. Like they, they want to see that experiment fail for obvious reasons. Um, they, they just, they don't, they don't particularly uh, think fondly of that. And they don't particularly think that that is a, uh, a great idea moving forward. So there's a lot of people watching on this. Uh, and like I said, there's a lot of people in the media that are just hoping and they will sell you on Dion because that's what they want. If we've learned nothing else about uh, the much of the national media that covers college football, they don't mind injecting their personal feelings and politics into uh, kind of a, a lightly veiled objective mindset on what they think is is good and bad for college football. So um, this is a story that's going to attract a ton. And I guarantee, and knowing some of the people that follow Atlanta sports and write for the AJC, if they don't offer him the job, there'll be somebody that rips them for not offering Deion Sanders the job. And Georgia Tech's well aware of that, but. I, again, I don't think it's going to happen, but I would love to see it happen. I would love to see Dion at Georgia Tech going up against Florida State, for that matter. Um, and the other thing about it is, if Dion, if he did have success, he not he's not there for the long haul. He would be trying to parlay that into maybe taking over for Mike Norvell at Florida State or a bigger job. Like I just can't see him settling in just because he used to play in Atlanta. He didn't grow up in Atlanta. He's a Florida kid. But uh, one way or another, it'll be very interesting to see this whole process unfold. And I don't think we're done with coaches being fired in the middle of the season. There's already odds out there uh, on who the next guy will be. Carl Durrell, the favorite at two to one. Brian Harson of Auburn, nine to four. David Shaw, three to one. I, I, I think we're, like I said at the top, this is now the new trend in college football it's starting to mirror the nfl more and more and in the nfl when they decide they don't want you anymore they don't wait till the end of the year they just go ahead and cut ties in the middle of the season going to be fascinating to see for sure and uh guys moving on to question number three uh, a school and a program that has uh, certainly been uh, no no stranger to uh, upheaval and, and turnover um is tennessee uh, living here in Nashville, much like, uh, you know, how Atlanta is, you hear about the Vols all the time. You know, you hear about the dogs in, in Atlanta, you hear about the Vols in Nashville. Nobody really cares about uh, Vanderbilt, uh, you know, right down the street, um, even though they're an SEC program. And uh, you, just don't, you just don't. It's Van Vanderbilt and Georgia Tech, very similar in that regard in their respective cities, uh, just a few hours away in terms of how they are uh, uh, represented uh, in, in each city. But uh, it's not that long ago that uh, the, the sports radio uh, was on fire uh, with, you know, running off Jeremy Pruitt and what happened uh, there and, and what happened under Butch Jones and would, you know, 
this Tennessee team that's uh, seemingly been lost in, in the wilderness now for a long time, would they ever be able to get it right again? Well, it seems like they have uh, with Josh Heupel and getting a, a big win over Florida uh, just to shake off some demons. Uh, Josh Heupel uh, proclaimed Rocky Top is back. Uh, everybody's feeling good about themselves uh, and then the checkerboard orange and white there in Knoxville. Uh, but I, I want to bring it to uh, the quarterback for them. And I know we've talked about Anthony Richardson of Florida here the last few weeks and in varying capacities, the the hype train after week one, uh, and then not necessarily being able to build it up. He had a fantastic game uh, against the volunteers and, um, but we're not going to spend time talking about him. I want to spend some time talking about Hendon Hooker and the fact that he was on list to start the season, but it just feels like, guys, through the first few weeks that he was just kind of quietly going about his business and nobody really talking about him. He doesn't lead the SEC in passing. That honor goes to Will Rogers right now, and, and Hooker is third in the league. But, gentlemen, uh, Hendon Hooker and Josh Heupel's offense – legitimate Heisman uh, guy right now for you moving forward to, to see if this Tennessee team can keep it rolling as a, as a top 10 team right now. No question for me. If they keep winning, uh, he, he's right up there. Well, got, I haven't talked about him much because I, I saw enough last year to be convinced that Hendon Hooker is going to be one of the top quarterbacks in the league again. And that's, you know, that's what he's been. Uh, he operates that offense very well. They were fortunate to get him. I mean, remember, it's a guy that couldn't get the starting job at Virginia Tech. This is a guy that wasn't expected to get the starting job after he transferred to Tennessee. And in both cases, Hendon Hooker has just uh, played the long game and won out and let his talent take over. He is what they hope Anthony Richardson will become. And I know Anthony Richardson had overall a good game, but he is not Hendon Hooker when it comes to throwing the football. And that's what that's what separates Hendon Hooker from a guy like an Anthony Richardson. I mean, he's just natural. He's a son of a college quarterback and a guy who's uh, can make all the throws and, and again shines in that offense. So yeah, I I think look when when I was talking about it could be a banner year for quarterback playing the SEC in depth. I wasn't just talking about. Uh, the you know the leading candidates Bryce Young, Will Levis, KJ Jefferson. I was talking about Will Rogers. I was talking about Stetson Bennett, and yes, I was talking about Hendon Hooker. And I would put all of those guys ahead of Anthony Richardson. Still, uh, we'll see what Spencer Rattler does when the Gamecocks hit the you know the, the a lot of swing games left on on their schedule. Their season's kind of gone exactly how I thought it would uh, so far. But uh, Tennessee to me. They still can't defend anybody. Like <laughs> I don't want to take away from Florida's offense entirely, but there was this great write-up, and I can't remember. Uh, I want to give them credit. This is from Ben Walsh of ESPN. College football's most imbalanced teams. So in there, you've got like the Iowa Hawkeye defense is number six in the country. Their offense is one number 130, dead last. Right, North Carolina, 125 defensively, 16th offensively. Uh, and then you have a school like Tennessee and Tennessee on offense, they are number one in the country right now on offense, but they're 95th defensively. That's still a concern for me going forward. I think they're going to be in, involved in some games where, and, and this wound up being a quality game. It was closer than I thought it would be. Uh, but I think they're going to be wind up in some games where they give up a lot of points and maybe Hendon Hooker and that offense finally has an off day. And that's when you see, perhaps Tennessee get humbled a bit. I'll say this about Hooker. Uh, loved him out of high school, Greensboro, North Carolina. 
<clears throat> really smooth passer, just a guy that, that was accurate. That's why, you know, people kind of wonder why didn't Justin Fuente work out at Virginia Tech? Because he seemed like such a good fit and a quarterback guru and all that. Well, when you make the conscious decision to not go with a guy like Hooker who has talent, uh, that can come back to bite you. That said, here's what's interesting. I don't know if Hooker's maybe a guy that doesn't practice that well. I mean, his numbers at Tech one season, he had 11, 11 to 2 touchdown to interception ratio, you know, protected the ball, thought he made plays in those games I watched. Um, but remember, he didn't win the job. Joe Milton won the job last year. Joe Milton. I was just and trying to. And he was god awful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe Milton. And, you know, and look, there was some familiarity with Heupel and Milton because Milton's an Orlando kid and Heupel recruited and blah, blah, blah. But man, that offense was that that offense was going to get them beat last year because it was a it's three and out city, right? Three and out, three and out, three and out. Hooker comes in, runs it masterfully, and they have a seven and six year where they go up and down the field. They're going up and down the field this year too. They even had some injuries. Tillman was out Saturday, right? Huge their, loss. Yeah, that, their top receiver, you know, was yeah. not playing. Uh, but guys like uh, Ramel Keaton, who was a, a top recruit who's never played that well. Laid out to get that ball. Jalen Hyatt from South Carolina uh, played very well in that game. Um, you know, they uh, their backs run hard. And, and that that offense just – you literally, Mike, watching how fast they go want to throw up if you're pretending to be a defensive player. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, God. Um, <clears throat> could defense come back to bite them? Yeah. Uh, but uh, – and I think Florida's uh, – right now, I would, I would say they're average. I mean, Florida's really – Florida's a, a play away or a touchdown away from being three and one, but they're also two plays away from being zero and four with losses to uh, with a loss to South Florida, who's not very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Gators, uh, you know, I, I think they're a little they're a little bit average. You know, Anthony Richardson obviously has a lot of talent. Was on Saturday, but uh, you know, we'll see where the Tennessee defense takes them. I, I do think. You know, they, they have to kind of shore up that side of the ball. I, I'll say this about their defense. I like the fact they they force turnovers. They're a little bit opportunistic, like they did against Pitt. Um, you know, so it's not all bad. The stats don't tell the whole story. But uh, moving forward against some of these teams they have to play, you know, namely Alabama and Georgia coming up, um, you know, you, you got to get a little better on that side of the ball. All right, moving along to uh, question number four here of the uh, Hot Haney Five, and one of the more entertaining games of the weekend uh, was Clemson at Wake Forest. Uh, Guys, we had that as part of our uh, pick five, and uh, both of you were successful uh, in picking that particular game as the uh, Tigers were uh, seven-and-a-half-point favorites. Actually, I'm sorry, JC, you you got that one wrong. Uh, We'll we'll get more into that here in just a little bit. Ouch. Seven-and-a-half-point favorites were the Tigers – uh, on the road and they uh, mm. came back came back and escaped in two overtimes against the demon deacons uh, who had sam hartman go 20 of 29 337 yards six touchdowns and honestly uh, guys with the way clemson's been playing the last five six years we haven't seen an acc opponent do that to a clemson defense in a long time there's uh, one big reason brent venables uh, is no longer on the sidelines for the tigers um so I ask both of you this uh, for a top five team uh, who is still in contention uh, to make the college football playoff here. um, Is this just a a blip? uh, Just something that, that happened because Wake Forest is playing at home early game, yada, yada. Clemson was missing some, some starters in the secondary, or 
do you think this could be uh, the first crack uh, in, a, in a sign that the Tigers are going to be missing Brent Venables a little bit more than people may have expected? Well, I, I don't think anything Wake Forest offensively does uh, or does offensively, to be grammatically correct, is is a fluke. Uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm that big of a Sam Hartman guy, um, have been for – for a while have done a couple of his games and he he's just he is that important to that team now what's the difference between this game and the other games in the past is that their offensive line would get completely blown up by Clemson and Clemson would be their kryptonite like it was the one defense in that league that they struggled against they gave this time Sam Hartman enough time to make plays uh remember the name I mentioned A.T. Perry Six foot five out of Lake Worth, Florida. That's an NFL wide receiver that he's throwing to. So they've got two special players that combined for a lot of big plays in that game. And the offensive line stepped up. Uh, now, some of that is Clemson might not be as dominating. Some of that might be, and I'm sure some of this is, you miss Brent Venables a bit. I guess that. That 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 was an elite, if not the best, defensive coordinator in the country for a while. You don't just replace him, uh, even if it's a guy in house that kind of knows the secret sauce, so to speak. Uh, so much of of being a great coordinator is not having a scheme; it's adjusting on the fly, and that's something you can't steal from your predecessor. You can't just get that through osmosis. A lot of that is a feel thing, and great coordinators have that. Uh, and, and Venables had that. So I, I don't know. I don't think that, I don't think that Clemson is a great team right now. They, the game day is going to be there and they're taking on NC state and no doubt JC will be getting, so taking some pointers from his boy, Dave Doran on uh, strategy and motivation and all that good stuff. But, uh, I, I just, I don't think there is a great team in the ACC. Uh, I I just don't. In fact, I mean, I really don't think we have more than three great teams out there in college football. If you want to boil it down to the, to uh, the the national landscape, it's it's Georgia, it's Bama, it's Ohio State. But I just don't see a, a dominating team in the Atlantic Coast Conference this year. That includes Clemson. But kudos to Wake. I mean, that was their best opportunity, and they had it, and they fought like hell. Uh, but they just came up a little bit short. Uh, but I I do think overall. You cannot say enough about the job that Coach Clawson has done in Winston-Salem. I mean, if if Wake Forest can win, like Dave Clawson's going to get a lot of guys fired. If Wake Forest can win, don't tell me Georgia Tech can't. I mean, don't because Wake Forest is one of the most difficult jobs in the country in a lot of respects. But he's he's done a remarkable job there. Yeah, it really has. Uh, and, and, you know, picked up where Jim Grobe sort of left off. Jim Grobe had a good run there. Um, so, uh, kudos for, to him. And, and yeah, if you're awake, you're kind of, you're hurting about that loss a little bit, but, uh, with Clemson's defense, there's, you don't just not miss Brent Venables, uh, because you can have all of his players and, and, and the scheme and the playbook and all that. What Brent was really good at and still is good at is you notice the play clock's running down. He's over there watching your defense, dissecting you. And then he's changing the, the call. Most of the time, Mike. I mean, it's like an audible in football. I mean, on offense with the quarterback, um, and and it, it was a little bit of a gambling style, but they had the athletes to get home and get there and put pressure, and it would just tear teams up, especially Wake Forest. 
because Wake's running game is like a, predicated on this mesh, mesh point pause thing. Uh, and it, it's tough to stop because because the guy pauses, kind of slight pause, and then patiently finds the hole and runs. Um, and what Clemson would do is just like run over, you know, and just blow it up before it even got started. Um, I'll say this in defense of the Clemson defense. Uh, they did have injuries. Uh, Sheridan Jones was out. He's a corner. Andrew Makuba was a freshman All-American safety last year. Um, he was out. Malcolm Green was a reserve DB. He was out. Uh, they did have their defensive line back with Brian Breesey and Tyler Davis uh, coming back. But, you know, like you said, Wake was able to give Hartman time. Um, there wasn't the disruption and dominance up front that there has been in this series. Uh, and Wake lit them up. So, Going to be interesting to me to see what happens against NC State, you know, especially with the weather situation uh, in South Carolina this this weekend. I mean, it's supposed to be heavy rain. Um, I think that probably plays in Clemson's favor. Uh, but but NC State's built a lot differently on defense than Wake Forest. Uh, I don't see Clemson racking up 500-something yards of total offense uh, against NC State. They've got big, fast athletes on that D. They've got a good quarterback. Um, they've settled down since losing to um, – I mean, I'm sorry, since almost losing to East Carolina. I mean, the Texas Tech win uh, they had in Raleigh two weeks ago is extremely impressive now. I mean, you saw what the Red Raiders did to the, the mighty Longhorns this past weekend. So, um, it's going to be an interesting game, I think. Uh, I just want to wait and see as far as the high end of this Clemson defense what happens when they get their their defensive backs back. All right. Well, fair enough and should be a fascinating game to watch. And um, maybe that one will be on our pick five. We will uh, we will see. I'll, I'll just drop a little hint there mm. on that one. Final topic uh, for you guys. Nothing encapsulated what college football can be more the unpredictability of college football more than what we saw from Kansas State uh, this past uh, two weeks where they throw up 10 points and lose to Tulane. And then turn around and put 41 points on the board and knock off Brent Venables, uh, the aforementioned defensive coordinator of Clemson, moved on to Oklahoma and his number six team. Um, so, I, guys, I just want to give a little bit of uh, love and some thoughts to the state of Kansas right now, because one, this doesn't happen often that Kansas and Kansas State are, are both good in spite of the loss to Tulane. Um, the Wildcats came back and what a redemption story for Adrian Martinez and transferring and, and being able to do some good things there with the Wildcats, Jalen Daniels uh, with Kansas getting a, a nice win uh, over Duke uh, this weekend of the, the two undefeated teams that no one expected to be undefeated uh, at the time. But uh, between the Jayhawks uh, and the Wildcats, uh, two programs right now uh, and also proving you never really know where the right hire is going to come from uh, Two uh, coaches and Chris Kleiman and Lance Leipold that were not big name uh, hires. Uh, but guys, just uh, your feelings right now uh, on uh, the Wildcats and and uh, the Jayhawks and, and what they're able to do. And if if the path continues the way that it is, will be a, uh, a pretty entertaining rivalry matchup towards the end of the year. Well, I did a deep dive on Coach Leipold last week on, on his background, basically a, a D3 coach with a ton of su success. And then Coach Kleiman, a North Dakota State guy, uh, an FCS guy, that basically made his name coaching at another classification. Now you would never see like an SEC uh, job go to one of those guys. You would never see uh, one of the prominent kind of blue blood programs hire a guy like that. 
Uh, but thankfully, there are other jobs that would give those type of coaches an opportunity to prove that they could do it at a higher level. And that's what both of them have have done thus far. Uh, two great stories. I mean, the Kansas story right now is the best story going. I, I realize Kansas football does not move the needle, right? So there's only so much time people are going to spend on the subject as a whole. Uh, but a, a quality game against Duke, um, both those programs ought to be proud of what they've been able to accomplish uh, with their new coaches. And uh, you, you just can't say enough about how awful Kansas was and what they're doing now, no matter what happens the rest of the way is a great story. Kansas State, you know, Kansas State is, I've always thought, having done games there, it it is a uh, kind of a hidden gem. There, I mean, there's a lot going for it there. Now, you don't, you do have to be creative in recruiting. And much of Snyder's uh, success came from JUCOs. And now junior college guys with the transfer portal aren't as integral in, in building a program like that. But you do have to be creative in recruiting. But in terms of facilities and fan base, and you've got some tradition there, the Little Apple's pretty cool spot. So I, I, I'm not surpri- as surprised that Kansas State would have, uh, would have some success. Kansas is one I thought could be doomed for another 20 years, uh, just how, how far they sank. I mean – what man, Gino was the guy that had it going for a little bit. But other than that, what has Kansas football been the last 20, 30 years? Yeah, it's been non existent. But, uh, you know, these guys that work their way up from D2, D3, man, you got to be able to coach football to win at those levels. I mean, uh, <clears throat> you don't have. Uh, necessarily um, a huge talent advantage um, if you're at North Dakota State, say. I mean, eventually you get there, but uh, you got to coach. You know, you certainly have to coach at the University of Buffalo, um, which, by the way, has become somewhat of a cradle of coaches for football and basketball both. I don't know why, but it, it, that's the case. Um, you know, and and I thought, I thought K-State, you know, after the second Bill Snyder situation – they went out and found the best coach, and he's done a really good job. You know, you talk about Oklahoma, you know, they're four and two in Norman, in Norman against the Sooners since 2012. They beat them four times, and this guy's got two wins. Um, you know, that's tremendous. I I I want to give a shout out to Tulane and Willie Fritz for pulling that upset because that was a game Kansas State didn't turn it over in that game. Kansas State just uh, got dominated by Tulane's front seven, which I never thought would ever happen, <laughs> but uh, it did. Um, but you know, you, you look at their other wins; they beat the snot out of Missouri, they've beaten Oklahoma, beat South Dakota in the first one, and then you know, Kansas is legit, folks. I mean, it, it's it's not like one of those things where they've started with oh the sisters of the poor, and then you know uh, a team from the Big Twelve that's maybe down, right? Uh, that would be your 4-0 start that, uh, you know, is maybe a little overrated. Uh-uh. They beat Tennessee Tech. Okay, that's fine. One at West Virginia. West Virginia got up off the mat and smacked Virginia Tech Thursday night. Uh, Houston, coached by Dana Holgerson, was a top 20 team in the preseason. They won by 18 on the road there and then came back to beat a previously unbeaten Duke, you know, 35-27. And I'd have to imagine, Mike, uh, against Iowa State this weekend and in Lawrence. Uh, Iowa State lost a lot of players off last year's team. Uh, Matt Campbell can coach, but I would think they'd be the favorite to go to 5-0 and uh, against the Mighty Cyclones. So they 
they've done it by with with wins over good teams. I mean, they, it's not like they've been beaten up on uh, teams that aren't very good. Matt Campbell is kind of one of those. Uh, I don't want to say cautionary tales, but he's living a good life. He's making a lot of money, and that money goes a long way in Ames, Iowa. But there was a time he could have almost any college job, and quite a few pro teams were knocking on the door. Uh, and it looked like, well, maybe Matt Campbell can keep it up. It's not like it's been a terrible fall from grace, but they're not quite what they were when Matt Campbell really had it going in Ames. And I just, I'd love to know if, if there's any regrets that go on in his head and, um, you know, he's still going to be courted. And I just wonder how, how much longer does he hang around because it's, it's a good job, but it's also a very difficult job. Well, if he loses to Kansas this week, then he'll be uh, like, hey, if you want to stay at Ames? Well, yeah, yeah, that, that would be – that'd be a tough week. That'd be a tough week. All, All right, right, is that is that it? That's Yeah, from the from the state of Kansas to uh, Clemson's defensive woes, Hendon Hooker's Heisman chances, Deion Sanders possibly in Atlanta to fill the Georgia Tech now uh, vacant role. Guys, that wraps it up for the Hot Haney Five. All right. Uh, we'll do a quick SEC spotlight in a moment. I do. I do want to uh, do some under the radar. It won't be long on this one. It's, a, it's just a couple quick ones. Number one is a stat. Tennessee is one of just two teams to score on every red zone opportunity this year. And that's with a minimum of like 20, 25 times. So, I mean, uh, their offense isn't just fast. It doesn't just put up numbers. Uh, they score when you, when you need to score the most, you know, when you're in the red zone, uh, that offense has been incredibly efficient as well, uh, and another one which ties into a little a category. We don't have we don't have enough time to, to do a deep dive on this, but I couldn't help but think with with the firing of, of of the coach at Georgia Tech and with the firing of Scott Frost at Nebraska and with Virginia Tech struggling and with the Florida programs struggling, although Florida State's having a bounce back year so far. Uh, Tennessee did struggle mightily for over a decade, Texas struggling in their own way, UCLA struggling. Uh, and I would also add Stanford, you know, there was a time at Stanford going all the way back to, you know, Bill Walsh and Dennis green. And I mean, Harbaugh, like whoever was there, you'd win. You didn't play for national championships, but you won a lot of games and you were really relevant. Uh, here's a number. Since 2019, Stanford head football coach David Shaw is 12 and 21. They lost this past weekend to Washington. It wasn't close. Washington, not that long ago, was going through their own uh, doldrums under Coach Lake, but they clearly have turned it around. David Shaw, I think a lot of people would not know this. This would be an under the radar salary. David Shaw at Stanford doesn't make 2.5 or 3.4 or 5.1, or 6.2, he makes $9 million a year. $9 million a year to go 12 and 21. And in a Pac-10 that's not as good as it used to be, Stanford has just progressively gotten worse and lower on the totem pole in a lesser league. How much longer can that go on? I, I mean, I'm just amazed. I, I thought David Shaw was on his way, as I've said, JC, years ago on our podcast. I thought he would be one of those next in line for an NFL job. Now he's he might have an NFL job as like a wide receivers coach, 
but he ain't going to be an, a head coach. I, I, I mean, what happened? It's Stanford. Have you have you been to Palo Alto? It's a beautiful, beautiful place. I used got to a go. lot of money. I mean, it that I is used, a pretty good job. I used to go every single uh, Mayish to Julyish uh-huh. for the Stanford Nike camp. That was a favorite uh-huh. trip of mine. It was, oh yeah, uh, shoot, man. We one time I stayed in Cupertino. One time I stayed in San Francisco. I mean, the weather's great out there that time of year. It is a gorgeous campus. It's not like Cal. Cal's a little different. <laughs> yeah. Stanford is beautiful. Palo Alto is beautiful. And the academics are second to none. You know, Mike, here's kind of how I see it. I, I, th- I think it's a lot like he's kind of almost like Mark D'Antonio at Michigan State, um, where your failure to adapt your offense uh, and, and kind of get with the times, kind of similar to what Jimbo's, how Jimbo Fisher's struggling at AM right now. Um, a lot of these pro style offenses and things like that that are like old school pro style offenses, not not like the Chiefs and, and with what they're doing and all that. Um, you, you've seen it before, and, and 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 it's easy to scheme up, and defenses are still good, and coaches are good. I mean, you know, you, you don't uh, necessarily have the advantages um, that you used to, and and you look at his first. Um, Five years at Stanford, you know, three Rose Bowls, a Fiesta Bowl, and uh, something called a Foster Farms Bowl, I think. is That's the <laughs> one at Levi's Stadium. Great milk from those folks. Yeah. Since then, Sun Bowl, Alamo Bowl, Sun Bowl in 2018, nothing since. Um, and I realized the COVID year, they were four and two or whatever, but um, yeah, four and eight, three and nine, all this other stuff. So, look uh maybe he's got to catch up and modernize um maybe he can't uh you know stanford's always been kind of a a program that's been very oriented toward the nfl because dennis green and bill walsh and jim harbaugh all coached there um you know tyrone willingham was a pretty good coach there too Yes, uh, yeah. you know uh, he so parlayed that into Notre Dame. Yeah, Stanford's had a lot of guys go back and forth the league. That's kind of been their shtick. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I I don't know what the answer is. Uh, you know, my guess is they'll let it play out a little longer because they're Stanford. You know, and and, and they don't want to like can somebody three games into the season. Well, but that's it's, the thing. Like, you know? it, it's such a different. You know, from being out there. Yeah, it's so different. Like he, Shaw, David Shaw would have been gone a long time ago at an SEC school. Uh, he would have been gone at a Big Twelve school and many ACC schools, certainly Big Ten schools. But out there, it just doesn't resonate. Like it, it goes on, and well, look, their, their mascot's a tree. Like if what's the the old expression? If a tree falls down in the forest and nobody hears, I, something like that. I'm going to screw that metaphor up. But it, anyway. One way or another, it's like if it, I was out there twice last year, the California and and and, and it's like the NFL has a hard enough time getting people to to stay involved and immersed, but they are. But but California is such a laid back state, and the the college football fan there, it's nothing like what we're used to. You just you can't even describe the the disconnect that exists it, it's it's just so much different than what we are used to and so 
it, it like you said, like they're not going to do it in the middle of the year. You're even though that those odds I read, what he was what third in that list. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if if they just wait and they might not fire him at all. He might put together another substandard season. And it's like, well, you know, he's a good, he's a good guy and he represents the Stanford brand. Well, so let's, let's let him turn it around. I, I, I just don't know, but, but that, that's amazing. That one snuck up on me. Like I knew, and I had somebody who's out there who covers pack 12. He, he said, Mike, he checked out two years ago. He said, I said two years ago, he, I, he should have been fired, but it's just like, it doesn't, I don't know. Maybe there is a Stanford message board, JC. I'm sure they've got a there site like everybody else where it's like, how much longer can, can we put up with this? But, but outside of that, they're just like, there's no, there's no real buzz or something in the air. That's like, this is terrible. We're, we're losing, we're losing games. We shouldn't lose our programs on the decline. It's like, eh, no, it's all, it's all good. Everything's, <laughs> it's another beautiful day here in Palo Alto and uh, you know, David Shaw's a nice guy. So let's just keep him around. Anyway, he's 94 and 47. He's the winningest coach in Stanford history. Uh, broke that record in there. The longest 2017. Guess who held the record before pop uh, Warner. Okay. How, well, cause again, freaking St- pop Warner, man, <laughs> freaking pop Warner, because it's such a springboard job. Yeah. Like Dennis green pro exactly. job, Willingham, Notre Dame, Harbaugh, uh, pro job. Like you go to Stanford and you just put up some numbers and you have all these resources. It's a terrific. And then you take a bigger job. And I think that was the, the plan for David Shaw. That's certainly the path I had envisioned. Not so much. One other quick one, one other under the radar. Uh, under the radar, Rick Stocksville in Middle Tennessee. Congratulations. Yes. Uh, they sent they sent back from Murfreesboro a, a couple of hundred uh, Miami fans that, again, had never uh, been to the campus, couldn't tell you where it is, sporting neck tattoos, uh, finishing up trade school and uh, getting ready for, uh, for that next fight in the stands to impose their will on uh, – Somebody half their size. Uh, it, it, Middle Tennessee defeating Miami is just—it's so like it's—it's it's such a bucket of ice cold water in the face mm. of the U to remind you. Nope. Once again, you've been told you're on your way back, but you're not back. And it you might like have the right coach. Second upset either. It was a thorough domination. It was a domination. Yeah. <laughs> it was a, do- I mean, how does that happen? Middle Tennessee is, uh, I don't even think they're going to win their conference. Are they? Am I, am I missing something? Is Mid- mm. What's the projection on Middle Tennessee this year? They um, were, yeah, that, that stock still is another one that people keep talking about. Just kind of run his course. Um, although I like, I know Rick Stockfield, I like him a lot. And I hope to God he's he, been there uh, forever. Yeah, he, and so he, is the AD, and the you know yeah. they know each other from the ADs yeah. from South Carolina, and Rick's from Clemson, and you know, look, they they've had some good moments in Murfreesboro, but but man, if you're Miami and Van Dyke gets benched, we're talking about a guy who was in some quarters projected to be a first round draft pick. You get benched against Middle Tennessee. Again, cold bucket of water, basically saying uh, you're not back. Uh, you can't draw anybody to the stadium. You know, much like in California, it, it's weird because people in the state of Florida are rabid football fans and they love college football. But you wouldn't know that if you went to a Miami home game. 
Uh, and granted, the stadium is far from their campus, but my goodness, it's just like you want to get some of those drone type views. It's it's a little bit depressing. So anyway, uh, under the radar, Rick Stockstill in Middle Tennessee. Everybody's talking about how Miami lost. Give a little bit of love to the guys who uh, pulled off the upset, the mighty Blue Raiders. Yes, that's uh, that was uh, something else. A lot of long touchdown passes. Uh, friend of mine I went to high school with, uh, Coach Brian Lane from Clover High School in uh, South Carolina. His son plays for Middle Tennessee, so I uh, exchanged texts with him. They got to go down for the game. Uh, very, very, uh, gosh, exciting time. Oh, get the biggest Blue Raider fan on the planet that I know, Chris Childers. You know him from – Yes, XM radio. Oh, he's happy. I uh, yeah. loves the Blue Raiders, so he was uh, he was fired up about that. And, Prominent and, graduate, yeah. Chris, uh, the show pony. Oh yeah, loves it, loves it. So great, uh, good, good I, job I, by them. And I'll just met. I'll just mesh quickly in a don't sleep on for this coming week. I know we're going to get into our picks. Uh, don't sleep on the Chris Rodriguez impact for Kentucky against Ole Miss. That's a top twenty-five matchup. They're they're pumped up in Oxford. Uh, one of the more anticipated games there for a while. Uh, Kentucky just continues to do Kentucky things. They don't woe you. They don't wow you. They don't woe you. They don't uh, dazzle you. They just win games. But I think a lot of people think that there's really not that much of a difference between Chris Rodriguez and say Cavassier smoke in part because people love saying Cavassier smoke. Chris Rodriguez is a much different player and a much better running back than Cavassier smoke or anybody else they've got in the backfield right now. That's a heck of a, a late addition after his suspension has run out now. You're getting a healthy, well-rested uh, preseason first-team All-SEC tailback to help that offense, which is, again, a physical offense. They don't just throw it around all over the place, even with Will Levis. So don't sleep on the impact that Rodriguez has on that game. I'm shocked he's back, too, by Ole Miss. That's uh, completely shocking to me. <laughs> funny how these I'm, I'm not i'm not criticizing kentucky or or the the punishment or i from what i gather this it was kind of some confusion but uh after all the uh the theatrics about is he gonna come back he's not gonna come back not gonna come back i looked at their schedule mike and i was like hmm maybe by florida but definitely by Ole miss He'll be back. Yep. Sure enough, Ole Miss, he's back. Sure enough, he's he's back in time uh, for that ball game. And from what – I mean, from all I can tell, that's probably the maximum that suspension should have been. Yeah, I didn't uh, think it was – what I heard was not that big of a deal. So No, no, not in More today's like climate. More like confusion sure. than anything. You know? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, all right, Michael, where are we going? All right, you ready for the pick five? No, but I never am. So let's yeah. just go ahead and do it. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's uh, wrap things up here with our pick five. Um, uh, last week, uh, you uh, only differed on one game, uh, that being the Wake Forest and Clemson game. JC, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you picked the Tigers there uh, on the road to cover the seven and a half, and it was a double overtime six-point win for the Tigers there. Uh, but that that's where you guys split. Uh, Mike, you started off hot. Uh, they are p- uh, picking Duke and Wake. Uh, 2-0, and um, uh, Duke covering uh, the, the spread there uh, in Kansas for that one. Southern Cal, though, uh, you both picked the, the Trojans. They only won by three on the road in Corvallis, needed a late touchdown to survive mm. that one, and Lincoln Riley's first scare as head coach for the Trojans. 
then the Volunteers, as we uh, talked about earlier in the Hot Haney Five, did not cover the 11-point spread in that particular game as the Gators made it close. Late, the old backdoor cover, both missed that one, but you both were the beneficiary of a, uh, of a, I guess not necessarily a doink, maybe they would call it uh, an oink as Arkansas missed. Mm, that's the, not uh, funny. The field goal there. <laughs> Uh, but you were both the beneficiary as Texas A&M was a two and a half point favorite and they only won by uh, two there. So Arkansas was, can I just say something on the Arkansas game? Uh, we, we, we kind of blazed through sec spotlight, but there were two games that were just heartbreaking losses. The way Arkansas lost that game to A&M, it's not just the field goal that hits the top of the upright. It's there was a play where KJ Jefferson is right near the goal line. And, loses the football and Texas A&M is like bodies huddled all around it near the sideline. And before you know it, one guy has it and he hands it off to another guy and he's streaking down the sideline 90 yards. I mean, mm. you just change one of those plays and all the talk this week is Sam Pittman, Arkansas, Jimbo Fisher, how terrible he's done, what a disappointment he's been, how great Arkansas. I mean, that's how quickly things can change on a dime in both situations. So I, I, my, my heart bled for, uh, for Arkansas nation, because they were more than good enough to win that game. They really were. They, they got to get back up off the mat quick, my friend. <laughs> I know it. Yeah. I think things are about to get real as the kids say. And then the other one is, uh, the Missouri Auburn game again, <laughs> Missouri had that game won. They, they have a, a, a field goal kicker who hasn't missed an extra point in his life. And he misses a chip shot a chip shot that would have won the game. Uh, then they have a player going toward the goal line. Now, this was not one of those knucklehead plays where a guy is just like showboating and he feels obligated to just drop the ball shy of the goal line for no rhyme or reason. And it's like one of the most bonehead plays in football. It drives all this crazy. No, he was at least like trying to get to the pylon. But in that effort, the ball came loose and it wound up being a touchback. And so... Both those games could have easily flipped, easily flipped. But instead, it's a, a heartbreaking loss for Arkansas and a heartbreaking loss for Missouri. For Arkansas, they'll be back. For Missouri, I mean, I don't know because I don't know what Missouri is right now. Uh, but I know they they had that game potentially won, and they were not able to finish it. Auburn's got Auburn's got LSU this weekend. Missouri's got Georgia coming to town. Yeah, it's uh, interesting, though, that the sliding doors of both of those things, and you're right, Mike, the narrative of where things could go, uh, especially juxtaposed with Miami losing to Middle Tennessee State. You know, supposedly A&M was getting right. They they had a a, a nice win uh, over Miami, who was expected to be good, and, and then you get the uh, the the thrilling uh, hold on win over over Arkansas. Um, but yeah, things things are still a little bit a little bit different there for Jimbo Fisher uh, in that regard, and how things would would be perceived uh, had they not been able to hold on and, and win that game. Uh, but let's move on to uh, the, the pick five here again, the overall records for this season, Mike six and nine. Nice. And JC four and 11. So let's Jeez. see, if we can get you, let's see if we can get you guys right. Let's see if we can get you guys right. So let's start. Let's start with uh, whose idea was it to let you pick the games on a pick segment? Nobody else puts themselves through this, but okay. 
All right. Well, here we go, guys. Here we go. Uh, as you mentioned earlier in one of your stats, Mike, uh, the the disparity of one side of the ball uh, carrying more than the others, the Iowa Hawkeyes are definitely <laughs> one of those teams. So let's go under. Let's go to uh, Iowa here uh, with Michigan coming to town. The Wolverines, 10 and a half point favorites on the road against the Hawkeyes. The Wolverines have not won at Iowa since 2005. So there's a little nugget for you. Uh, but gentlemen, Wolverines, 10 and a half point road favorites to Iowa. Here's what I do know about this game. It started in Vegas at Michigan minus four. You know how much money has to be wagered to go from minus four to minus 10 and a half? Mm-hmm. Um, it just goes to show you nobody believes Iowa can score on anybody, nonetheless, mm-hmm. Michigan. And you can put me in that camp as well. I'll take Michigan. I'm going to take Michigan as well. Uh, Iowa did put 27 on the board against Rutgers last week, but they had two defensive touchdowns. Worst <laughs> offense. And, look, I'm not trying to come down on the kid. I wonder if he's still the quarterback. The guy I saw starting the opener has no business playing D2 ball, much less uh, for the Hawkeyes. And uh, it's another situation. You got uh, the OC there. It's Kirk Ferentz's kid. So what do you yeah. do? Yeah. What do you do? What do you do? All right. Well, that's going to be an intriguing matchup. Iowa, great defense and special teams. Sometimes that can be the difference in covering a 10 and a half point spread. We'll see if you guys can get the win on that one. So moving on, uh, another game that you mentioned in the SEC, I'll dub this the Are They Really Good Bowl? Kentucky, Ole Miss, uh, top matchup here in the SEC this week between those two teams. The Rebels at home, six and a half point favorites. Who we got? K- Kentucky. I'm going Ole Miss. I think they got too much offense. I need to see, you know, last week was the classic. I've been watching Kentucky for a lot of years, especially under Stoops. They have that one game against a lower-level opponent where they don't look good. Like last year it was Chattanooga, and Chattanooga almost beat them. That means nothing. Don't get caught up in it. But I, I think Ole Miss and their style of play, uh, they'll be able to throw it, run it. Uh, and they're at home. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Ole Miss. Don't think it'll be a blowout. I think it'll be like a 7-10 to 10 point win. All right. Uh, I picked this one because I'm just intrigued to see what the response is like after uh, a loss to Kansas State. Oklahoma goes on the road to TCU, and they are six-and-a-half-point road favorites. Again, after that loss to Kansas State. So, gentlemen, Oklahoma, TCU, Sooners, six-and-a-half-point road favorites. Who we got? I don't know what happened to Oklahoma. Um, Adrian Martinez, who uh, has been playing college football, I believe, since the steam engine was invented, <laughs> as, as it were. Uh, he he had his breakout game for this century and was, was terrific. I, I'm not in love with Oklahoma's defense, but I, I do think Oklahoma's offense is impressive. I'll, I'll actually take Oklahoma to bounce back. Uh, they they took the gut punch. This is where coaching comes in. This is where Coach V has to use some of that uh, that voodoo that he has to to get them get them uh, off the mat and get them remotivated and remind them there's still a lot of things to accomplish. And it begins on Saturday, so I'll go Oklahoma. You know, if, if Gary Patterson were still at TCU, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd maybe take them to cover. But uh, 
I think Oklahoma's going to beat them pretty good. You know, TCU, sometimes when you make coaching hires and you are a little different than the rest of the teams in your league and your league is kind of one way and then you make a hire that makes you the same, uh, it doesn't work out too well. Ask Texas about it. And I don't think it's going to work out too well for Sonny Dykes in TCU. I'm going to take Oklahoma to bounce back and cover the spread, even though TCU is undefeated. All right, uh, let's go to the ESPN game day game and uh, go to Clemson. Uh, JC, you mentioned the potential weather concerns for that game, and it may uh, fall in line for the Tigers' strengths in that one. The Tigers' six-and-a-half-point home favorites against the NC State Wolfpack. Big, big ACC matchup this week. Clemson's going to win the game, but it's going to be like that uh, rainy game in 2015 when Dabo said, bring your own guts or whatever it is. Uh, bring your own guts. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Uh, they, they beat Notre Dame by two in a monsoon. Uh, that's the weekend Columbia was flooded, by the way. Um, I think State's going to scare the dog do out of them like they do from time to time. But special teams will once again haunt the Wolf Pack in Death Valley. Miss field goal at the end. Clemson wins. NC State covers. What is the line again, Michael? Six and a half. Clemson favored six and a half. Uh, this is what I, I want to see the real Devin Leary. Uh, you know, you're, you're talking about a guy who's thrown for over 5,000 yards. You're talking about a guy that uh, NFL scouts seem to be excited about. Uh, but there's been a couple times, you know, it's, I'm not sitting here and watching three and a half hours of NC State football every week, but there's been a couple times where I've caught him this year where I haven't been overwhelmed. If you're going to make a name for yourself, this is the game to do it. However, I'm taking Clemson. That's not bad. You're probably right, Mike. <laughs> I get I, it, you know, man. I just well, I mean, who knows? I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know right now what either one of these teams is truly made of. Yeah. I know Clemson's better. But that doesn't mean you win the game. We see that in college football every week. The better, the most talented team doesn't always win. Well, and states usually played them pretty competitively. Yeah, under. Oh, they yeah. haven't They've always had their won, chances. but they 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 played competitively. So we'll we'll see. Uh, you know, this is this is a big game for NC State. They snapped the streak against them last year at Clemson, and uh, Clemson wants revenge. So um, we'll see if they get it. Some of those DBs that was were out for Clemson last week. I think are expected to be back too. Uh, wet field, though, if, if that is the case, that could neutralize that because obviously that favors the offense because they know where they're going. So we'll see. Let it be shown this is the first time uh, during the pick five segment that both of you uh, have or that you've chosen two different winners. Uh, you've only you've differed on one game only throughout uh, this series. So this is the first time that you both differ on. Two. There we go. Okay. So we don't share the same brain. Do we? Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, we'll probably split. One, last one. We're going to stay in the ACC. And uh, because I'm a big old softy and you guys are both woefully under 500, I'm going to, I'm going to lob you a big 12 foot softball to smash out of the park. The Pitt Panthers are hosting Georgia tech. recently. <laughs> Lost their coach. The Panthers are 23-and-a-half-point home favorites against the stumbling wreck in Georgia Tech. All right, first off, there is no softball when you're going ATS against the spread <laughs> against the boys in Vegas who set the line. Uh, secondly, secondly, 
You know what? By golly. Don't do it. A heck of an engineer. Give me Georgia Tech. Yeah, this is a this is a get off the mat. We deserve some respect. We're playing for pride. We're playing for the ghost of Bobby Dodd. We're playing for Joe Hamilton. We're playing for the boys that beat Cumberland 222 to nothing. We're playing for engineers mm-hmm. all over the world. We're playing for a cover, and I'll take the Georgia Tech rambling wreck. I think it's the wrong team to try to cover against. If it were North Carolina or NC State or Virginia Tech or one of those teams that routinely disappoints people, Miami even, I'd probably follow your line of thinking. Pitt, Pitt's too well coached. I think, I think Georgia Tech's going to probably score some. Uh, but I, I don't know Pitt, if Pitt is know. well enough coached, though. They they have backup kickers going rogue and doing onside kicks. Uh, that's uh, oh, yeah. Narduzzi's had a colorful uh experience because he, he got on the ESPN at the beginning of the year about the crowd and you know went off on his kicker. And uh, Pitt, Pitt football is kind of interesting this season, but I, I just think Pitt's too good uh, as far as you know just how well coached they are and how good they are. Um, and, and tech, you know, Brent key is a good guy. He loves Georgia tech. He's an alum. Um, but that's a tough situation. So I, 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 I don't totally disagree with Mike cause I thought they played pretty well against UCF, but you know, it's just been a rough week and you know, I, I think Pitt's just the wrong team to be going to play. All right. Well, that wraps it up for our pick five gentlemen, Godspeed and best of luck to you to see if we can, uh, see if we can get you right and get you closer to 500. God, God knows we need it. Uh, Hey, you mentioned UCF from uh, UCF night 94, a little around the AAC UCF now three and one after the win against Georgia tech, they'll take on SMU Tulane. Tulane was a great story. They were three and O and then they lose to Southern miss. Uh, They've got, They've got a road game at Houston. Cincinnati is at Tulsa. It's kind of easy to forget about Cincinnati because they lost to Arkansas, but that was a competitive game. Uh, Tulsa played tough against Ole Miss. That was only 35-27 Rebels. That's the conference opener for both those two teams. ECU 2-2 at USF 1-3. Temple 2-2 at Memphis 3-1. Seems like Memphis is 3-1 every year. And then the... uh, the only non-con game of the American Navy. Remember, I was talking about what what's happened to Navy. Coach Ann, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, they're one and two. They're taking on Air Force in the mm. Commander in Chief Trophy. Who's going to obtain it this year? Uh, Navy one and two, Air Force three and one, and making a lot of noise with their head coach. So yeah. there you have it. It's a big game for USF, man. After the. Uh, and, and and Navy actually got a good win over East Carolina, but I mean, after almost beating Florida, um, Jeff Scott I think is now one in twenty one against Power Five or uh, FBS competition. At I got USA. blown out by Louisville. They're not the most patient group down there either. I, I have some friends on that coaching staff, so I hope they're going to be okay. But uh, that Louisville game is not good. This is an important game uh, for Jeff Scott, but uh, you know they're probably not even going to play it, Mike, because it's the in weather. Tampa. Well, yeah. I, I thought – did I read that, that game is going to be played in Boca? Yep. Yeah, so they're playing at the mean streets of Boca Raton on the opposite coast where FAU plays its home games. Oh, interesting uh, connection there. Jake Bentley, who is Bobby Bentley's son, 
Uh, he played quarterback at South Carolina, and Bobby's on staff at USF. Uh, I wonder if he had when he called up old Jake and he talked to Willie Taggart and said, "Hey, can we use your stadium?" Yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, that stadium in Boca is pretty nice. I like. Yeah, it. it's not bad. It's not bad. You know, and to to just to put a cap on USF, what what has to chap USF Nation is that. It wasn't that long ago they were top ten under Coach Levitt, and they were the talk of the town. And uh, and quite frankly, UCF had a had a, a rough patch, and USF was winning that the, the battle of I four right. Like it was USF was they had won that that collision in, in terms of who gets to move ahead of the other. And you know when conferences do realign, USF looked like the one that'd be better shape for the Big Twelve, not UCF. And what's happened since is UCF has gone through a downward spiral and UCF has had sustained success. And now they're going to be in the big 12 next year. So I would imagine it's, it's been a little bit difficult for USF fans to, to look at that and say, what, what just happened? We we had everything right, right in our own hands. I, I don't think they didn't give Skip Holtz enough time. They wrote out the Willie Taggart thing and then did not give Charlie strong enough time. He has one bad year and he's gone. And then Jeff Scott comes in during a pandemic situation in the portal, and there's all this attrition. I, I don't think they're going to give him that much time. So yeah. they're they're, they're kind of like the new Tennessee. Uh, and you're right, USF UCF success does not help them one bit. Maybe they could bring in champs, champions of life to take over that job. <laughs> maybe maybe he can get maybe he can get him yeah, right. He's, he's fine at Arkansas State and Jonesboro, Arkansas is pleasant, uh, pleasant, pleasant, pleasant spot for good old Butch Jones. That's God's country right there. <laughs> uh, I I'll tell you what, if if, if uh, I'm not even going to go there, but I'll just tell you that <laughs> the best pair of jeans on the planet is courtesy of Blue Delta. We want to thank our friends over there in Oxford, Mississippi, and really they're in Oxford, but it seems like they're always on the road. Uh, fitting people and coaches and players and singers and businessmen and uh, regular folks like uh, the three of us, Blue Delta, BlueDeltaJeans.com. I I know you've heard this before. It's like everybody's claiming they've got the best of this, the best of that. Uh, I can tell you firsthand, a custom pair of jeans from Blue Delta is a difference maker. It's a game changer, as they say. So check them out. Uh, if you don't even have to go to the store to get a fit, they've got kind of a kit, or, if you will, online, a virtual uh, fitting room. Go to BlueDeltaJeans.com. Gentlemen, it's been fun as always. Looking forward to it next week. And uh, best wishes to everybody in all seriousness with the uh, the weather coming. Hopefully everybody stays safe, particularly uh, in the state of Florida where it's uh, going to be hitting the most and then uh, before it goes north, and you've already seen some other games changing, of course, South Carolina and South Carolina State, they're going to be playing on a Thursday. Uh, I believe there's another game that's going to be moving to a, a Sunday. So you got a lot of things at play. Let's just hope the damage is minimal uh, by the time we uh, talk to everybody next Tuesday. So that'll do it for us. For JC, Michael, this is Mike saying so long. Thanks again for tuning in to JC and Morgan. <laughs> 